Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. This is another installment of Fan is Short for Fanatic. Today we've got Liam on. He's a Novocastrian, a mad Newcastle Knight fan. He runs his own podcast called The Joust. You know, he, him and his best mate, they dive into everything Newcastle Knights every single week. A mad fan with a fantastic story to tell. We talk about, you know, the 97, the 2001 Grand Final, the glory years. We talk about Joey Johns, Danny Badiris, Ben Kennedy, Steve Simpson, Matt some of the greatest guys to wear the blue and red. They've just got some of the most unbelievable players we've ever seen. Then we head into, you know, Joey John's retirement, you know, what that meant to the club, what it meant to the town. We dive into the dark days, you know, those 15, 16, 17, those really dark days where, you know, everything was just tough for Newcastle. You know, we touch on the effect of Wayne Bennett and Darius Boyd and the unfortunate circumstances surrounding Alex McKinnon and how he's used that as a positive to inspire other people in their life. And, you know, it's just a great chat. I really love the passion Liam has. He's one of those fans that he's the reason why rugby league is successful and he's the reason why, a, you know, a team like the Newcastle Knights and a town like Newcastle, it just shows how much rugby league means to them. It's a cracking chat. Let's kick it off. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. Mandel has been beaten by Newcastle on full time. Liam, how are we, brother? Guru, I'm fantastic, mate. We've just got off a 40-point uh, win, which is pretty rare for a Knights fan. So, got this strange feeling of what I'm told is something like incitement, excitement, joy, happiness. I don't know. Not something we're used to as Knights fans, but by God, it feels good. Before we jump into the Knights, mate, of course, you've got yep. your own podcast. Tell me about it. So we're uh, doing a Knights podcast called The Joust. Now, we started The Joust in uh, 2016. So obviously, you know, we we're jumping on the Knights bandwagon the year they got one win, one draw. So wasn't much to talk about that year. I was actually working hospitality, so I didn't actually see most of the game. So spent the whole year talking out of my ass, and we did uh, drink a lot. So <laughs> if you go back and listen to those ones, I'd highly recommend against it. But, yeah, so we started back then, and, mate, it's just become a juggernaut's probably the wrong word. But, you know, we're uh, Newcastle icons, I think it's safe to say. Mate, I'm no stranger to jumping on a losing horse, but fuck, you nailed that one, didn't you? <laughs> we could not have timed it any better, mate. Could not have timed it better. <laughs> now, am I correct? I think I've, I've seen you a little bit on the uh, Newcastle media up there, yeah? Yeah, mate. We got lucky. A couple of uh, our, our producers, they happen to work for NBN News, and uh, when the whole COVID thing was happening and there wasn't much sport to cover, they decided they wanted to do a series called uh, Once a Night. So they went back and uh, got some old game footage and a few to f- interviewed a few previous players, and then they got us two dickheads on, I think, to drag the mood down a bit. So, you know, they had all these great player interviews, fantastic footage, and then they stuck our mugs on. So, hey, that was unreal. It was a good bit of fun. And, you know, it's it, it's it's always nice to have someone tell you you're not doing a shit job. So we'll give you a – we'll throw you a bone. Who do you, uh, who do, you do the podcast with? We do it with my dear friend Nagy Nagwell. So Nagy and I have been mates for, oh, God, going on a decade plus. And Too long? Just happened to bu- – yeah, mate, way too long. I'm not giving him another month. That's it. <laughs> so, mate, we got together and Nagy went to a friend of ours, Elliot, and he said, mate, I've been talking to Liam and I reckon uh, we might want to do a night's podcast. And then he came to me and said, mate, I've been talking to Elliot. I reckon uh, we might be keen to do a night's podcast. So he's kind of uh, strong-armed Elliot and I into it. And we 
got it kicked off in Elliot's garage again, talking rubbish, drinking heaps, not knowing what the hell we were talking about. And yeah, it's just grown steadily from there, from, uh, you know, two dickheads in front of a mic. Now we got a whole studio. We got uh, cameras and all that fun shit. And mate, it's, it's been a fun ride, even through the shit years. Of, it's just been a hell of a good time. Who wears the uh, number seven jersey and who's the five eight? Naggy. I'm the Sean Rudder. <laughs> Naggy's definitely the seven. <laughs> what a cult hero Sean Rudder's turned into. Oh, mate, he was fantastic. He actually uh, ended up playing some uh, local union up here for a couple of years, playing for Merriweather Carlton. I think he won a premiership, but we've got um, a pretty good pedigree of uh, NRL players who have come back to play lower-grade rugby up in Newcastle. I actually played a game with Stephen Crow uh, once, and I'll tell you what – He's still got it. That man is a meat axe. He got sent off for a perfectly clean tackle. The ref went over to him and said, mate, this is fifth grade. You can't tackle that hard. Have a rest. So, yeah, we had uh, Sean Rudder up here. Crowey's played a bit. Uh, Willie Mason's brother played a bit. So, yeah, we've got a, a little bit of pedigrees come through in the uh, in the old Newcastle Hunter Rugby Union lower grades up here. I've heard uh, Willie Mason's brother is not one to be fucked with. Well, you can't fuck with him now because he's behind bars for a bit. So <laughs> I don't think there's any worry of that. Makes he life a little bit easier. Fo- he was not a very good footballer either. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, take me back to, you know, your origins as a Knight fan. How did it start? Well, I actually was not born a Knights fan. My dad was born in the Royal North Shore. He lived in Warunga, uh, played his footy for West Pimble. Um, he actually played uh, North Sydney Juniors as well. Went through playing in the halves with Des Hasler of all people. So I was born with uh, red and black in my blood. So you know, I growing up, I you know I looked up to players like you got Gary Larson, Brett Dallas, Ben Iken when he looked like a four year old child. Matt Sears was one of my favourites, but the big one for me was JT Jason Taylor. I used to get around telling people my middle name was Taylor. I was that big of a fan. But uh, the big one, mate, was Flo. Like the way we talked about Flo in our household. Greg Florimo for the uninitiated. The way we talked about him in our household, mate, it was hushed tones. It was reverence. It was – the man was a god. So, yeah, I grew up uh, a North Sydney Bears fan. But all my dad's extended family are from Newcastle. So, we'd come down here on uh, holidays a couple of times a year. And obviously, started getting a bit closer to uh, following the nights. And then when we moved here, it was – right around the time of 97 when I made my way over to being a Knights fan, which worked out nicely. And um, yeah, after that, once we moved to Newey, it was all uh, all red and blue from there on. Mate, 1997, I could think of worse times to become a Knights fan. Mate, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, that 97 prelim against the North Sydney Bears, I feel like that appropriately mirrors my journey from being a North fan to a Knights fan. You know, North's Kind of sucked. My whole life, they kind of sucked. So you'd go to a North game, you'd win the toss and you'd bugger off home. So the 97 prelim was, you know, that run from Matt Sears and Darren Albert chasing him. That was the Knights fan in me, chasing down the Bears fan, buggering him off, bundling him over the sideline. And from there on in, mate, it was red and blue. All red and blue. Mate, that tackle you talk about, I think people forget just how fucking quick Matty Sears was. He was lightning. I actually had um, one of his trading cards in the 95 series where they had the speedsters. And I remember it was him. Uh, Brett Mullins had a speedster's car. Do you remember Peter Jorgensen? Oh, Peter Jorgensen used to do the old uh, uh, aeroplane after he scored. Yep, that's the one, mate. I had his speedster's card as well. So, yeah, Matty Sears was a big one uh, growing up for me. Obviously, his life didn't turn out, I think, like he'd hoped it would. Uh, it was him and Jason Smith, wasn't it? Got in a bit of a, a bit of trouble. They know their way around some Barney rubble. That uh, that Peter Jorgensen, <laughs> mate, he's, um, he's coaching a team down here in Sydney now, an under-16s, one that I coach against, and his young bloke, fuck, he's just as quick. Yeah, he's got the Jorgensen speed. Oh, mate, couldn't handle him. Unbelievable. Mate, <laughs> tell me about slow. 1997. Obviously, you know, it's a huge it, – that, that mm. premiership was huge for the team, but it was bigger for the town, wasn't it? That was it. And, you know, like I said, we'd only started coming to visit the town, uh, visiting family, you know, a couple of – every couple of months and I think we visited Newcastle not long after the grand final and the place was still buzzing you know you just even as a kid you know you could feel the atmosphere around the town people I think were still hung over about a month later the place it was just mayhem across the whole city and even as a kid you know you got that idea of Jesus Christ this is something this is rugby league so you know well I was only very young I think it was only eight or nine but that was you know being the formative years of my uh footy fandom that was just a great way to kick it off and you know a great way to uh, to become involved with a great club mate when i was starting my podcast i was trying to put together an introduction i had some music and i just yeah. wanted four plays that summed up rugby league for me and, and that's the it, first mate. one that Darren came to my Albert. mind yeah albie right it just <laughs> joey down the short side hopawade at marker yeah. is just it's just poetry isn't it 
Mate, I'll tell you what, 2017, so 1997 was obviously a great year in Newcastle, but 2017 was almost as good because obviously it was the 20-year 20, 20 anniversary of the win. And I'll tell you what, I saw some of the Knights boys maybe around February that year, some of the old boys, they started drinking and they didn't finish drinking till about October. So we had, uh, we actually got lucky enough to do a couple of events, a few 20-year uh, anniversary events. And I'll tell you what, mate, those Knights boys, they can still, uh, still knock a few back. If I, if I can put that politely, those boys go hard still. Mate, it was unbelievable. That group of 1997 blokes, they, <laughs> fuck, they didn't miss, did they? Nope. And they still don't, mate. They still don't miss. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like doing events like that, you know, these guys, I'm, they're my heroes growing up. And, you know, I get to jump up on a stage, put the footy on behind me and talk to, you know, Tony Butterfield, Crowey we had on as well. I think Lee Jackson maybe. I can't remember. But, yeah, getting to kind of hang out with uh, – the 97 boys just get hard on the piss it was just unbelievable mate we spoke earlier about him going down the short side in that grand final and you know he mm, won the Clyde mm. Churchill in 01 Andrew Johns what does he mean to the, to, to, to the city of Newcastle everything mate you can sum it up effectively in one word everything he means everything to this town he's uh, the greatest well we still think he's the greatest of all time obviously a lot of people are going to uh, say it's Cameron Smith I'll probably be saying that in a few years but to us mate Joey He's everything about the city, everything that's great about it. He was tough. He was skilled. He loved uh, loved a beer and some uh, extracurriculars out on the town, mate. That was just – he was kind of everything that, uh, you know, the Knights were built around. It was uh, Alan McMahon, the uh, the first coach of the Knights, his whole big ethos was you want to be the player that everyone wants to play with. And I think Joey was that kind of player. You know, obviously he had all the skills. He had all the talent. But he had the drive. And to see the way he would be disappointed at losses, the way he just – busted his ass to do everything he could for the team, mate. Yeah, he's uh, the sooner we get the statue, the better. And if anyone's listening, uh, don't know about the uh, Bronze for John's statue campaign, head on over to uh, Bronze for John's all over Facebook and all that, where uh, our friend Carlo is trying to raise a bit of money and a bit of awareness to finally get a statue, mate. If JT can get one up in Queensland, surely we're overdue for one of Joey down here. Mate, that Instagram page and Twitter and everything, God, they do some yards, don't they? Fuck, I hope mate, they get it sooner or later. It's incredible. Car I've, we've had Carlo uh, interviewed a few times and met him a couple of times. And, mate, there's no more passionate Knights fans. He puts me and Nagy to shame with how much love he's got for the club. And he's got much spare time on his hands, but he's pretty well constantly uh, pushing for the bronze for Johns. It's incredible. I, I'm pretty sure he's a lawyer. So, you know, he's a busy man. But, mate, he's an absolute king on the social media up here. He's running this town. Mate, surely they just give him a trophy to shut him up soon, don't they? He must be doing their <laughs> fucking head in. Mate, they've got to. He's, he's got everyone on board. Phil Gardner's on board. The club's on board. Venues New South Wales are on board. He's a convincing fella. Mate, we mentioned Why Joey we... Johns before, and obviously, you know, just you know, an immortal, and you said he's everything to mm -hmm. Newcastle, which I can't argue with. And, you know, I look at Joey, and, you know, as good as he is, you know, his younger brother, sorry, his older brother, Matthew, an absolute mm. freakish footballer, but he's sort of, you know, his career post-football in the media has been so good. People forget just how good he was. And that's it. And uh, we, uh, while we were going through the first COVID break with no footy, obviously, we got decided to go back and do a few episodes about um, some old games. So we did that uh, North's prelim. Um, we did, oh, I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, did a couple of games from the 90s. And I, I had forgotten how good Matthew Johns was. He was just unbelievable. And to see the two of them together in that in the late 90s, you know, it seemed in the lead up to 97, Matty had kind of take the lead a bit, but then Joey started taking over. And yeah, I think a lot of people really forget just how good Matthew Johns was, especially with him, you know, being a media personality, talking himself down like he's always some palooka on the wing. But yeah, no, mate, he, he paid, I reckon he paved the way for Joey. He was that good for us. Mate, imagine being a top 10 ball player in the world and being the second best at your dinner table. Fucking all sorts. <laughs> Mate, oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite something that uh, family, and I know Gary and uh, his mum, whose name I forgot, Gary and Glendo, I think they're still uh, holding up the bar out at Cessnock, mate. I don't think they've paid for a beer at the uh, Cessnock go in as rugby league club since about 1994. So, <laughs> mate, they'll be, they're sitting pretty out there in Cessnock, still living the dream. Tell me about that 2001 grand final, mate. You come up against the star-studded Parramatta Eels. I've, I've said a few times on my podcast, they are by far and away the best team to never win a premiership. You're at long odds, and 
Joey just did what Joey does. Mate, Parramatta that year, they were incredible. I think, do they still have the record for most points in a season or has that been surpassed? I highly, mate, even with these new rules, I don't think a team will ever overtake them. No, well, yeah, and watching them, it was just incredible. And um, I actually remember that night, I was uh, I was just a boy of 12. I was over, I was still living up in Sawtell, up on the mid-north coast. Uh, group two, for anyone wondering, Sawtell Panthers, minor and major premiers in under 12s. And then uh, 2001, grand final night, I was at my mate Byron's house. We are having a sleepover. And then, uh, you know, the Knights famously came out, blew Parramatta out of the water, 24-0 at half time. So we just buggered off outside. I think we all uh, jumped on the trampoline, grabbed our, grabbed our bikes and ripped around the bush at night and then uh, came back in and saw the final score. And I think we wish we'd stayed in. <laughs> Tell me, mate, I believe you have a story about the grand final breakfast. I do, mate, I do. I can't remember who told me this story, but um, it was one of those situations. There was a similar one in 97 um, where you talk to, you know, you talk to the guys and you're like, when did you know you had this grand final one? When was the when was the moment where you knew you were going to win it? And um, one of the Knights players said, mate, we knew it in grand final breakfast. So obviously they've gone for the grand final breakfast. Parramatta went, I don't know if you remember this, Parramatta went with a turtleneck and blazer. It was all black, wasn't it? It was all black. Yep. It was uh, very Andy Warhol. I'm pretty sure the Knights were just in their jeans and polos, but as they were lined up waiting to walk out of the table for their grand final breakfast, the Knights boys are joking. They're having a bit of a giggle. And the Para boys were just yeah, immensely focused but overly focused to the point where they looked nervous. And it was at that grand final breakfast that, um, yeah, the boys were just like, we, we've got this. And I think in 97, there was a similar situation where they were in Chief's hotel room and they went around the room saying, oh, you know, why do you want to win this? What does it mean? I think it was Paul Marquette was the last one or Glenn Grief, ultimate professional. They looked up, he's in tears and they're like, we've, we've got this one. So 97 and 01, there's, as far as I can remember, these little interesting stories where, you know, the boys are like, we, we've got this game. We, we've absolutely got it. So, you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing to hear that far out from the game. I was like, mate, we've got this. Mate, we mentioned, obviously, in that grand final, Andrew Johns, Clive Churchill medalist, mm. well-deserved. If Ben Kennedy wasn't the second-best player on the field, I'll eat my hat. Tell me about BK. Abs- I think BK really could have got the Clive that year. He was unbelievable. He was so good for Newcastle after he came over from Canberra. You know, we kind of missed that hard edge with guys like Butterfield retiring, um, Stephen Crow, obviously a weapon as well. But yeah, I think BK really brought that hard and steely edge that we needed for that uh, that premiership run. And then to see him go to Manly, mate, there's nothing more heartbreaking to a Knights fan than seeing one of your best go to Manly. So that was a tough pill to swallow. But Mate, he was, again, everything the Knights are about, he played hard. He went just every game, he just went mental. He just, every time he crossed over that white line, he's like, I'm a fucking madman. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to act like a fucking madman. And that's what I'm going to do for 80 goddamn minutes. And he did it every week. He was incredible. His tenure at the club was pretty short. I think it was only three years or something. But yeah, mate, the whole time he was there, you could have put him up for player's player every year and he would have been a good shout. Mate, he did the same thing when he arrived uh, down there in Manly, as you mentioned. Mm. I mean, I was speaking to Michael Witt a few months ago who was playing there at the same time as BK, and he said yep. he played three or four years and he was named in their best team of the last 50 years. Like, yeah. He's just that sort of a footballer, isn't he? Abs- absolutely. And I, I haven't seen the Knights teams of the last 50 years, but, mate, surely he's got to be on there. We've had some good second rowers and locks, but you've got to fit him in. Even over a short time, he just brought so much and... Yeah, it, it was like he played with an origin intensity every goddamn week. And then you see him go out and do it again in origin and go to another level. Like, Mate, how many levels this bloke got? Yeah, he was an incredible buy. And I'm seeing a bit of similarity between him and Mitch Barnett. You know, we picked him up at Canberra. He'd had a few years there. He's a bit young, big fiery bastard. Loves nothing more than to throw a few cups around. And yeah, mate, BK, was he was integral to the club around those, you know, early to mid-2000 years. You speak about Mitch Barnett, Ben Kennedy. If any team mm. wants to win a premiership, they need a fuck you forward, don't they? Oh, mate, and that's something the Knights have been missing for a long time. We haven't had someone who will just front up, say, fuck you, I'm throwing gloves if I need to. Obviously, you can't throw gloves anymore, but, you know, if you could, that's what the Knights have been missing for the last few years. So to get a bloke like Barney, I think we got him four years ago, perhaps. I think it was when Brownie first got to the club. But, yeah, to get a bloke like Barney, just... All aggression, all rage, just a fiery ginger, mate. There's nothing like it. It's fantastic. 
Another second row I want to ask you about from those early 2000s, you know, if you were to go around and ask a 1,000 people, name your top 50 second rowers ever, this guy probably wouldn't get a mention anywhere, but he was crucial to that Knights team. Stevie Simpson. Tell me about Simpson. So Simpson was, again, he was just the cornerstone of that pack. He was, I wouldn't say he was the flashiest second rower. He put, didn't put on the biggest hits, but, mate, he just worked like a madman. He he would give everything for the team and he went about his work from what I can recall, you know, fairly quietly. He was never the big brash in your face type forward, but everything he did, he just did remarkably well. And, you know, for me growing up, that was a golden period in origin. Cause you know, we had Ben Kennedy, Steve Simpson, uh, Matt Gidley, Tamana Tahu, Joey. We had, you know, half the origin team at uh, that period in my life when I was growing up, and, you know, obviously coming off the back of chief as well. And uh, Tony Butterfield and mate, it was just, it was a real good time to be a Knights fan, especially when you have guys like Steve Simpson in your team because, mate, every team needs a Simpson. I think he's a, he's still up this way working. He's got a farm out in uh, Gloucester, I think. So he's uh, yeah, got back got back out to the land, back to his spiritual home in the Hunter Valley. So he's still around. The other guy you mentioned from that early 2000s team who I think, you know, if he was around nowadays, which the way the rules have changed where wingers can dive through the air and they can touch the corner post, imagine if you had Matt Gidley inside you now. Imagine the amount of tries he would lay on, just half opportunities he created with his flick. He was one hell of a footballer. It was incredible, mate. Seeing the things that he could do with the ball, I don't, I'd never seen anyone like it in uh, the admittedly very brief period of my life up to when Gidley uh, kind of made his uh, debut. But, yeah, to see the things that he did with a footy in his hands, just incredible. And, you know, we'd all, you know, he'd bring a footy around to school and, uh, you know, he'd be running around, showing the ball around the corner, trying to get it out the back. It was the Gidley flick, mate. It was, he should have put a trademark on the bus and he'd be, He'd be sitting on millions right now. But, yeah, he was he was just incredible. And then not only to have the Gidley flick, but to have Tamana Tahu outside him for a few years, unbelievable. Tahu, he was power. He was strength. And he just complimented Gidley so well. Gidley had the footwork. He had the flick. And then once you get it to Tamana, mate, there's not many people who can stop him. So that right edge combination was just unreal. But what I wouldn't like to talk about is Matt Gidley at 5'8", because, by God, that was bad. Wasn't pretty, was it? <laughs> Nope, it wasn't good. Not good at all. Mate, take me to 2003, round 12, a classic game for the Newcastle Knights. Now, this is one we did a, did an episode again during the COVID break because I, I remember it um, being a particularly good game. So it was round 12, 03 against Brisbane, and it was the first game at the new Suncorp. They just, I don't know if they built it or redeveloped it, but anyway, first game at the new Suncorp. Brisbane were, you know, the Brisbane of the early 2000s. They were just a powerhouse, but the Knights had had a couple of really good years and they ended up showing up to the day and mate, they just taught Brisbane a lesson. Uh, who was it? Anthony Quinn and Tamana Tai who scored doubles. Um, Brisbane, they had the run of it in the first half. So it was kind of a bit worrying going into the half, but uh, mate, the Knights just went mental in the second half. I think ended up 32-22, but two of the Broncos tries, they were late. So the scoreline kind of flattered them. But yeah, it was, uh, mate, it was an Andrew Johns masterclass. He just, he was unbelievable that game. And yeah, it, it was just just a great game to go back and watch and remember the glory days. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm having to go back even further now to go to the glory days, but mate, hopefully we've got some ahead. Mate, is there anything better than spoiling a party at Suncorp? Oh, nothing at all. The only one that would be better would be spoiling a party at Brook, though. <laughs> That's the only one better. Mate, obviously a few years after that, the Newcastle mm. Club... You know, it just gets turned on its head with the retirement of Andrew Johns. Um, mm-hmm. I believe his last game, his last moment in rugby league was that tackle from Sonny Bill Williams. Do you remember that moment? The broken jaw, I think it was. Um, God, when was that? I remember seeing it and being horrified. I don't remember where I was. I would have been 14. But yeah, I just remember watching the game and you know, as soon as you saw that tackle, Joey was the kind of player where as soon as you see him get tackled, tackle someone, do anything, you shit yourself. He's like, oh my God, what if this great man gets hurt? What if we don't have him? And so to see him, you know, have his last game in, you know, such ignominious circumstances, it really, it was a tough pill to swallow for the Knights. And it happened again a few years later um, with uh, another one we're going to talk about, I think. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a heartbreaker, absolute heartbreaker to see, you know, the greatest heart and soul of the town go out in, you know, a situation that you really wouldn't want to go out on. 
Mate, you mentioned another man this happened to later. Take me to that mm. day, 2013, semi-final against the Chooks, I believe. Danny Badiris, tell the rest of this story. What happens? Actually, I'll start with the game before that. So I was working at a pub in uh, in Walls End, which all of our listeners know. Listeners uh, from Newcastle will know is real rugby league heartland. And I was working at the pub, and the uh, semi-final against the Storm was on. There was about four people in the pub, so I watched the whole game with a couple of the regulars and. Knights got up 18-12 against the Storm to make a preliminary. That was Bennett's second year. So we we're all like, great, Bennett's done it. This is the job done. And then we went into the prelim. And Danny Badiris, he got knocked out by Jared Waria Hargraves early in the game too. It was early in the game. And, you know, he had to come off on a medicap. And that was another great man's, you know, final. That was the great man's swan song for the Knights. And it just seems like there's this curse about retiring Knights greats that they just they they don't see out their last game well. You mentioned your former coach there, Wayne Bennett. Mm. How do you remember that? Obviously, you know when I when I think about the Knights of the 2013s to that 2016-17, I remember it for three blokes: Wayne Bennett, Darius Boyd, and unfortunately, what happened to Alex McKinnon. What do you remember mm. during that time? Now I'm going to drop another name on you there, Nathan Tinkler. Now. When Tinkler came on board, he was the big wheel around town. He was the big dick swinging everywhere with all his mining money and his horse racing money. And then he's like, all right, I'm going to buy the Knights. And I think at that point, I may or may not have said that Nathan Tinkler will be the future mayor of Newcastle. Um, I definitely did say that. There was so (laughs) much hype around him, wasn't he? It was like he was a saviour. Mate, yeah, that's it. We saw that was him. He was the saviour of the town. and We all got straight on board. We're like, great, Tinkler's going to do great things. Oh, my God, he's got Bennett. We're going to do even better. And, you know, worked for the 2012. We built towards 2013. But he signed a lot of older players. You know, he signed Jeremy Smith towards the back end of his career. Um, brought back Craig Gower from the Italian rugby team. And that didn't work out too well. And I think he got Bo Scott was aging a bit. That was after his dragon spell. So he brought in a lot of older players because I think Tinkler, he'd kind of given him the MO like, all right, Wayne, you've got money, you've got the club, bring us the premiership. And uh, that doesn't tend to work out too well usually. And it tends to work out even less well when the bloke who's paying your bills uh, isn't actually paying those bills. And, you know, we had the whole thing with Darius coming out saying, we're not getting paid, not getting Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market getting paid and yeah so it was a real fall from grace that happened really quickly you know the tinkler years they the first year and a half two years such promise we were all excited everyone was on board and then it just collapsed it all came crashing down around us and you know a lot of people at the knights look back and it on bennett you know is the undoing of the club but you got to remember there was a few in between bennett and brownie there was uh rick stone and then Danny Badiris took over from Rick Stone. So, you know, a lot of people say like to go back and say, look, Bennett screwed the club, Tinkler screwed the club. And it was like, well, there was also a few years in between where some uh, poor decisions were made as well. So it seems like the whole lead up to Brownie, about the six or seven years leading up to that, were just a bit of a shit show, to be honest. Mate, I, uh, I really feel sorry for Wayne Bennett in Newcastle. Like, I, I, I can hear the argument that he made some poor decisions and that people weren't happy, but... Mm. Mate, I, I just, for, you know, what happened to Alex McKinnon and what the team went through, I you know, I oh, just that, don't know yeah. how much more success he could have possibly got there. I think he was in circumstances that you just couldn't possibly mm. prepare for. And I think, mate, as much as people didn't enjoy how it went down, I think you were lucky to have Wayne Bennett there, a guy with his experience to get those guys through that brutally tough time. Absolutely, mate. The Alex McKinnon thing, that was that gutted the town, you know, he was, he'd come along. He was a promising junior he came with Bennett. So anyone who comes with Bennett, you're going to think he's going to be a hell of a good footy player. And then so early into his night's career, we have, you know, the, the tackle that, that kind of ended it all for him. And he hadn't been at the club for overly long, but you know, he's still that's happening to a bloke who's playing for your club. So it, it just guts you to see. And I think what has really 
Sean, about the club, though, is the way that they've worked with Alex and brought him back into the club. You know, Newcastle's always had a very strong old boy scene. And, you know, to see it get extended to a, to a younger bloke who's gone through, you know, absolute hell in terms of one of the worst rugby league injuries you could get. You know, to see the club get around him and keep him on board and bring him back. And he's doing a great job with the recruitment at the moment as well, by the way. But, yeah, to from something that was just heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, you name it, you know, Alex has really come out of this knowing how much he cared for Newcastle when he came along. And I think the, the people of Newcastle kind of reciprocated that to him. You know, he was, he was one of us. So we, we all got around him and mate, you know, having the, uh, I think we had a couple of rounds dedicated to him, which has been fantastic. But yeah, that was a, that was a gut wrencher. And like you said, you know, that it felt like it put a hold on everything. It didn't feel like the Knights were moving anywhere after that for a while. It was a bit of limbo. So yeah, that was, a, it was a real, real toughie in terms of, you know, what it did to the team, how much it gutted the town. And, you know, I think you're right. It, it, um, it really casts a shadow over what could have been a bit of success, but it's like you said, you know, Wayne, he had an unenviable task coming in and basically being told, here you go, win a premiership in two years. And that's your job. Mate, I listened to Alex McKinnon talking on um, on Isaac John's podcast last week, mm-hmm. and at the time I was listening to it, I'd, I'd lost my wallet, and I was fucking going into complete <laughs> and utter panic stations, and then I heard yeah. him talk and his positivity and what he's gone through, and I just went, fucking dickhead. You complete <laughs> and utter dickhead. What are you stressing about, mate? He, his story and what he's, you know, what he's mm. done off the back of his story, it's incredible. It's quite remarkable, because... Um, Obviously, we were all keeping close tabs on how Alex was doing after the accident. You know, he'd come out and he said his partner, Tegan, he was like, look, I've got a goal. I'm going to walk down the aisle when I get married to Tegan. And I think he ended up walking down the aisle with some support. And then he was like, all right, me and Tegan, we're going to have a kid. They say we probably can't. But then they ended up doing it. And, you know, I'm pretty sure anyway. I couldn't remember that for certain. But, you know, like you said, the positivity of the man and the way he's turned, you know, a shitty situation into – living out a, a, a dream working for a football club, you know, it just, it speaks volumes about the man. There's the positivity and the strength and the, the willpower, maybe something else. And to have him on board at the club, no matter the role he's in, it's just a fantastic get, you know, to have him around the club's just unreal. Mate, we come out of those dark days around, mm. uh, around Alex McKinnon. And unfortunately the club enters some pretty dark days on the field. Those 2015, 16, 17 grim days, man, grim. They were rough. The only uh, the only positive to that was that I was working a hospitality. So I'm, I'm a hospitality veteran, grizzled old bastard. So I was working most Friday and Saturday nights. So I didn't catch a lot of nights games. The one I do remember, I was at work and it was, <clears throat> I believe it was a Sunday afternoon game against the Gold Coast Titans. And I had it on the screen at work. There was no one in, so I was just watching the footy or whatever. And we won. And I think it was our first win in about 300 plus days. I want to say it was 334 days exactly. But all I know, it was around a year and I don't think I've ever been so happy. It was incredible. I could be wrong, but that's the day that Ross Dog scores and he just goes fucking nuts, doesn't he? It's yep. like he'd won the grand oh, final. Mate, he, I'll tell you what, through all the shit years, the Ross Dog, he was the heart and soul of that team. We were lucky enough... We got him on our pod and um, just to see how much he loves Newcastle, how much he loves rugby league. And, you know, he's kind of that non-traditionally, he debuted late, came through, you know, the the local the local footy. And to see him get a chance and just to see him just enjoy himself every week, scored a bucket of tries, mate. He was, through the shit years, he was the one leading the, he was the one keeping the fans interested. You know, he was the one that we were all looking to, the great white hope. And, yeah, it's, mate, he was unreal for us, Nathan Ross. Mate, he uh, he actually went to my school down in Sydney. He was a couple of years ahead of me. And, and mate, even watching him for Newcastle then, you know, 10-odd years later, I had to pinch myself and remind myself that he wasn't <laughs> from Newcastle because he was like the fucking mascot. Yeah, mate, he was. He was the king of our town. He, was he a Coogee Junior? He was, yeah, yeah, he was a Coogee yeah. Junior. Yeah, because I know, I, I remember him telling a story. He used to play for Coogee on the Saturday and then sneak over the fence and play Union on the Sunday. I can't remember. But, yeah, mate, he was he was unreal to have around the club. Just the positivity and the fun he always had, even when we were losing. It it, it helped us get through some real shitty times. You know, when he had to hang the boots up, it was, uh, it was a real shame, real shame, because he was so important to us fans for years. 
Mate, obviously in the last week or so, the New Zealand Warriors, they've announced a new coach, Nathan Brown. You're pretty familiar with Brownie, aren't you? Oh, mate, intimately familiar with Brownie. And I, you had um, Angelo on last week talking about Brownie and his coaching. And it, it's, a, it, it's a funny situation. Through, throughout the whole Brownie tenure, uh, we at the Joust podcast, we were very pro-Brownie. We are all about him. Because um, he came into a bit of a shit show. Obviously, you know, roster mess, back-ended deals, cap troubles, all this shit. And so we were like, oh, Brownie's going to be the one to fix us. And the first season, terrible. Second season, terrible. Third and fourth seasons, better. But again, we were all in the bandwagon. We are like, Brownie's doing great. He's doing wonders for the club. But the more I look back on it now, the more issues I have with the um, with the Brown coaching period. Because I've never heard this in any other sport. And you might be able to uh, tell me if it's ever happened to anyone else. But we had a coach who would come out in press conferences and say, look, we're going to lose. We're going to lose a couple. And we just accepted it. In Newcastle, we just said, yep, that's okay. That's fine. We, we just took it as gospel that we were going to lose. And, I mean, you'd look back at some of the worst teams over the last couple of years, even, you know, the Bulldogs last year and this year, they at least played with heart, thinking they might win a couple. Titans at the moment, they're cellar dwellers, but they look like they could, you know, beat anyone on their day. But, yeah, at the time at Newcastle, we just accepted it. We were just like, yep, that's fine. We're going to lose. And I've never, ever experienced a, a sporting fan base being okay with that. Mate, he it said really some rogue weird. things, but I think well, the favourite thing anyone's mm. ever said could have come from Nathan Brown when he pointed out that he wouldn't have to fix all this if Wayne Bennett thought with his, his big head instead of his little head. If that's not mm. fucking Oscar award winning, I'll give it away. Tell you what, that put him... Yeah, we we dined out on that for weeks. <laughs> it was fantastic. So Right know, that, or wrong, that, I don't care. It's just Brownie. a cracker. <laughs> yeah, mate, he nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And I think uh, that one's come back to haunt Wayne a bit with uh, being caught out with the misters. So, you know, I think Wayne's thinking with his little head again, mate, getting out of, uh, getting out of COVID isolation to, uh, to show off the little head. Uh, he knows his way around a good time, Wayne Bennett. Tell me, mate, you know, during those grim years, it's sort of... Um, <laughs> There is one shining light that comes out of, well, two shining lights. You managed to sign two blokes at the back end of that. The first one you sign is Caelan Ponga. Mm. Now, you know, everyone looks at Caelan Ponga now and says, great decision. But when you signed him, he was an 18-year-old who'd played a couple of games in North Queensland. He had a good YouTube highlights package from Schoolboy Rugby. It was far from a lock. Tell me about KP. Well, that's one of the biggest things you mentioned, the YouTube highlights clip. It seems like players are just getting signed left, right and centre now just based on a YouTube highlight clip. So I remember when he first started playing for the – or when he was first being talked about at the Cowboys, they had all the the videos of him playing first 15 at Churchy. And um, I remember watching that and just thinking, oh, my God, this kid could be anything. And then he got a couple of games uh, towards the back end of the year for the Cowboys. And, mate, this kid's incredible. And so for us, it was – it was arguably the biggest signing coup in the history of the club. It was just, you know, we were all gobsmacked because again, we hadn't been playing well. We weren't expecting good players to come. And if we did, you know, we're going to have to pay massive overs. So the Ponga signing for us, it, it, it lifted the town. So like, hang on people who obviously we didn't know how talented he would be, but we're like, you know, people who are showing promise who look like they could be good footy players actually want to come to the Knights, whereas previously it had been, you know, Brownie would throw the juniors in as the whipping boys say, yeah, we're going to lose, and then doesn't develop the juniors. And all of a sudden we're signing this boom rookie. And it was just, uh, mate, it, it set the town a buzz. It was just, it was something else. Yeah, it was unreal. Mate, I remember watching his first game for the Knights, and I believe he came up against Manly, and he, you know, his scored, first yep, try. Scored six. on his first touch. Yeah, and he, he, he went past Curtis Siren. attacking... Curtis, oh, yeah, Curtis Searin attacking the left side. Yeah. that little in and away does. It was incredible. And I just we remember seeing then that like, we've got some. Um, that was it. I just remember seeing Curtis Searin's face and, like, he just went, where the fuck oh, did was, he just go? <laughs> it was something else, mate. And that was when we knew, we're like, we're on to something here. Scores a try with his first touch. What more could you want from a, a young bloke that you're going to pay a bit big money to and obviously show a bit of faith in? So, you know, that we knew off the bat. We were like, this kid's good. We got something here. Mate, at the end of 2017, you know, the worst kept secret in rugby league is revealed to be true. Cooper Cronk signs with the Roosters. Now, Mm. there was a lot of dominoes to fall and we weren't sure where Mitchell Pearce was going to land. Where were you when you first found out Mitchell Pearce was coming to Newcastle? I would say I was probably at a pub somewhere. (laughs) I think that's the fair guess. Um, 
Yeah, I can't actually remember where I was. Like I was saying, we did a, we've done a lot of drinking over the years on the pod, so I could have been anywhere, mate. And uh, I just remember being so excited because it kind of happened as soon as they said the whispers started around Cooper Cronk for the Roosters. Everyone's like, oh shit, where's Pierce going? Where's Pierce going? And there wasn't too many spots that he could have filled. Um, and yeah, to hear that he, you know, signed for us, it was just Jesus Christ again. These big players, we're not Newcastle hasn't been used to signing big players over the last couple of years. So to get that, another kind of marquee signing, it still felt a bit surreal that players, you know, he's won premierships, he's played Origin, and he's coming to the night. It was, yeah, it was something special. And then obviously that uh, kicked a few other dominoes out of the way and a couple more signings after that. It really felt like, you know, Ponga was the big signing that everyone looked at and said, this could go either way. But then when Pierce signed, I'm like, great, this is it. We're becoming a destination club almost where people won't have to get an extra two, 300 grand on their contract to come play for. But I'll tell you, I think out my, one of my favourite signings over the last four or five years would have to be Sean Kenny Dow. Now, that's going to sound a bit strange because he didn't play, you know, a thousand games for the Knights. He played really well for us, but he was never, you know, a best player. But he was the first domino to fall. He was the first one he came over towards the end of the season in, I want to say, 16. And he was kind of the first of the good signings to come and play for us. And, you know, to see him come across and make a good fist of it. And I think he got in the ear of the Roosters boys and said, look, Newcastle's the greatest city on earth. Get your ass up here. And so for me, Sean Kenny Dow is probably one of my favourite signings we've made over the last couple of years, just because he was the first one to come in and actually put on the jersey. Mate, Skidzy, you know, he's quite often referred to as a rocks and diamonds footballer. But, geez, when you need a try at the end of the game and it's tight, yeah. it just always seems to be Sean Kenny Dow, doesn't it? Mate, he was fantastic. I remember I used to listen uh, when he was playing to the Roosters and he'd make an error inevitably and Gus would go, ah, mate, that's SKD. That's why we love him. I was like, why the hell would you love that? And then he came up to, to play for us and, yeah, he'd make an error every now and then. You're just like, oh, mate. That's what you get with SKD. But, yeah, the bloke could score a try. I think uh, my favourite was in 2018 out at Scully Park in Tamworth. Mitchell Pierce had torn his peck. Uh, the incomparable Jamie Bure stepped into halfback and put across one of the most perfect crossfield bombs you'll ever see for Sean Kenny Dow to score in the corner with about a minute to go against the Tigers. Won that game. So, yeah, mate, oh, I loved Skidzy. He was great to have at the club and, he didn't, too, he didn't do too well on Tinder up here, I'm told. But, uh, yeah, he was a great <laughs> signing, mate. Loved having him around. Mate, the other man that came during this period, you know, he's arrived in the last two or three years and he's just filled so many different positions for you guys. He's one of my favourite footballers and I think he's one of the most improved players in the competition right now, Kurt Mann. He started at 5'8". There was a lot of speculation whether it was going to be Crossland, uh, Mason Lino. He went mm. with Kurt Mann and... He set the world alight, and now you've got a hooker crisis, and thank God Kurt Mann's in the building. He can step into hooker, and he's going to do a job there. Hey, I'll tell you what, that Newcastle number nine jersey's been no good since Bedsy went out. Um, what was the question? I forgot the question. I was so busy thinking about Bedsy. Oh, yeah, Kurt Mann. Mate, he's been fantastic for us this season at number six, but um, I think it's just a case of, you know, Brownie, he didn't settle on a spot for him. He wanted him to be the 14. He wanted him to be the utility, which he did admirably admirably you know he filled in a number of positions and he always did a great job but you know he never really got settled so I think the the key for him is that Adam O'Brien sat him down at the preseason and said look you're going to be my six and that's where we're going to keep you and I think that training in the preseason as a six knowing that was going to be his spot knowing what his role was outside of Pierce he's come on in leaps and bounds absolutely he's been one of our best and I think one of the great <clears throat> things that Kurt does. He's all about the team. Now, obviously with the Knights number nine curse, we're down to about our fifth string hooker, which is Kurt Mann. But it was actually Kurt who floated that idea to O'Brien. You know, we had um, our last, you know, four string hooker went down and the very next week at training, he went to he went to coach and he said, mate, we're down a hooker. I'll play it, mate. Put me in. I'll play it. We've got kids who can play 5'8". eight. got many hookers right now. Just I'll do it. I'll do a job for you. And he went out and he did do a job for us last week. So yeah, mate, he's come on in leaps and bounds this year. And I think it's having the confidence of a coach like Adam O'Brien behind him. It's just done wonders for his game. We'll talk about Adam O'Brien in a second, mate. But obviously, Kurt Mann, he was a Newcastle junior. He came through the Howell Mats and the SG Ball there. Have you heard the story about him in the SG Ball Grand Final? 
No, I would love to. Oh, mate, I, and one of my good mates was playing in the mats at the time, and they were in the uh, they the Knights were in the grand final, and I believe they were playing Canterbury, and Newcastle were up by two or four mm-hmm. points, and they were game. You know, the game was just about over, and Kurt Mann went to kick the ball out. Yeah, you know, over the dead ball line behind him. And he hasn't fucking oh, found no. it. Yeah, and they've scored, <laughs> oh, and they no. they won the SG ball off it. Oh, you shit! Yeah, mate. Oh, and and that's why the poor bloke oh, left Newcastle. I think it was just all too much for him. That's how that's how he winded up down in Melbourne, yeah. and now he's now he's ended up back there. He's going to be a hero, but fuck, it was some grim times for him early. I have to bring him up, bring that up when I see him at IGA New Lambton. He uh, <laughs> loves shopping at IGA New Lambton. Any Van Newcastle listeners, you want to catch a look at him? He likes buying his schnitties there, but mate, I hadn't heard that story. That's hilarious. Oh, mate, it's well, one I guess he just had to wait. Of... He had to, had to keep his head low, and he's finally ready to come back to town. Everyone's probably forgotten it by now. Mate, the, no, town, the town's very lucky week. to have him. <laughs> Speaking of being lucky to have yeah. him, obviously your new coach, Adam O'Brien, sounds like he mm. is doing fantastic things up there. It's been incredible. Um, obviously, you know, Brownie was a bit of a – Bit of a, you know, boys coach. He was all about being the good guys of everyone. And I think, yeah, it was like uh, Angelo was saying on last week's podcast, he, he wasn't much older than the blokes he was coaching at St. George and then comes over to Newcastle. And I think he was still in that real – oh, no, he went to England and then Newcastle. But yeah, he was still very much that, you know, the matey coach who, you know, grab you around the shoulders if you lost and say, ah, it's all right, we lost. Let's play next week. Whereas O'Brien comes in from the Melbourne system and they, he's just changed the team. And I think one of the other criticisms I have of Nathan Brown is that he had all these juniors that came into the squad and they never developed. Now, already within 13 rounds, under Adam O'Brien, these blokes that Brownie couldn't get much out of, it's been incredible. Daniel Safidi, him and his brother Jacob, they're two of the form props in the competition. He's got Josh King playing really well. Phoenix Crossland coming off the bench doing some great stuff. Lockie Fitzgibbon starting to get back to the form that got him into first grade. And that's been one of the biggest things about Adam O'Brien for me is that he's getting a lot out of these junior players that Nathan Brown didn't seem to be able to elicit. And the biggest thing for me is that, you know, he just, being from, you know, the Melbourne system and being under Bellamy and then Trent Robinson, he's so defensively focused. And, you know, the Knights have been hit and miss this year. have been hot and cold. And in previous years, when we've been hit and miss, hot and cold, we're generally sitting around 12th or 13th. But given what O'Brien's done with the squad, we haven't been playing great, but we're in fifth. So it's a really strange feeling as a Knights fan to know that last week was our best game of the year. We're going to get better already, you know, in the top eight. So it's a really strange feeling. But yeah, it's a, O'Brien, mate, he's done an un- unbelievable job. And the belief he has in the players, now obviously came out a couple of weeks ago and said the players have felt a bit entitled, but he seems to have worked on it. That spray really worked. And, mate, he's bringing the, he's just bringing that whole that whole squad together. And I think one thing he said the other week that really stuck out for me why he's going to be an incredible coach, he was asked in a press conference about uh, the injury time. Mate, you've got, you know, you've got a fuckload of injuries. What the hell are you going to do? And he said, mate, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to worry about the players that aren't here. We're going to celebrate the players that are here. You know, we're going to celebrate the players who are fit. And, uh, yeah, he's so far in half a season, he's probably done more with that team than Nathan Brown could over, you know, four years. So, again, the more I look back on the Brownie situation, now that we've got a different coach and a different mindset, it's, uh, you know, the more I'm, <laughs> the more I'm thinking, what the hell were we doing? You mentioned there the injury toll, and obviously Adam O'Brien, you know, he doesn't mm. want to associate the team with an injury toll because it's a sign of an excuse. But mm. coaching, to me, it's about mm. overcoming obstacles, and the obstacles he's had to overcome, like, you know, and people that don't understand footy might not understand the significance of it, but to lose your your starting hooker that you spent the whole preseason with him, Brayley, mm-hmm. for him to leave, and then you're lucky enough to bring in an Andrew McCulloch, who with all the experience in the world, they had a you know the COVID break, they had a small preseason to bring him in, yep. he didn't miss a beat, and then for him to go down, and now it means that... He was fantastic. Oh, mate, he was brilliant. He was just, I can't believe Brisbane. I, I can't believe really when good. I sit there and watch the Broncos every fucking Friday night, absolutely eating ass, that I sit there and go, wow, this team <laughs> thought they didn't need Andrew McCulloch. They're missing McCulloch. Blows me away. <laughs> Which is funny because I remember when he uh, when he came down here, I remember a few Broncos fans were kind of happy about it. They oh. were happy to see him go. And so I was, I was a bit iffy initially. And then he came out and played the first game. I was like, mate, this guy's unreal. He's brilliant. He's fantastic with the club. And then, of course, he goes ahead and tears every 
Yeah, what did he tear? His hamstring right off the bone. So did everything. Then we got Connor Watson. He's the next big uh, hooker we're going to do. What does he do? He goes and tears his – he snaps his Achilles. And who did we put in after that? So that was one, two, three. Shit. Oh, mate, we've been through so many hookers this year. I can't even remember who else we lost. Oh, yeah, Braley, McCulloch, Connor Watson. And then, oh, God knows who else. But, yeah, but that's the other thing. Like, O'Brien, he's not making excuses. He's like, mate, we're missing players, but who cares? We're still here to win footy games. Tell me, mate, obviously, you know, the move from Kurt Mann to 5'8", hooker, that was obviously helped along by your signing last week, Blake Green, one of the most experienced footballers in the NRL. You know, he's played for seven or eight clubs, and I, I, I personally don't understand why teams keep letting him go. He does a job every single club he goes to, and fucking shock me, he walks into the Newcastle sheds this week, and we see the best game out of KP I've seen in a couple of months. It's. I don't know why we're surprised Blake Green keeps doing this. That's right. He's so consistent. It's incredible. And <clears throat> yeah, he's played seven clubs plus two Super League clubs. Mate, the man is. He's collecting jerseys like you wouldn't believe. So I think. And as far as I know, he had one training session before the game. I think he did the captain's run, and that was it. And then that first try where he goes outside back in for Ponga. Mate, that's the kind of move that most teams had spent a preseason training and they've gone out and pulled it off in the first first fucking game together. And just to have him take the pressure off Mitchell Pearce, um, it was incredible. But this week's game, another string to Adam uh, O'Brien's bow. The attack wasn't working. Our attack for the start of the season, the first however many rounds was... Blowful's the wrong word, but it was clunky. It just wasn't clicking. It wasn't working. But, you know, this, the the strength of Adam O'Brien as, as a coach was he just threw it out. He said, mate, that's not working. We're changing the attack. And we have, you know, probably one of the best performances I've seen from the Knights in years. And, yeah, Blake Green, mate, he played a huge role in that. So I'll be interested to see how he goes over the rest of the year. And I'm sure, like you said, mate, he's Mr. Reliable. He's Mr. Steady. And from all accounts, just an absolute legend on the schooners as well. So, mate, I think uh, he's an unreal signing. And I know a lot of people are kind of talking about him for next year, um, which would be great. But I, I don't think there's room in the cap, which is a damn shame. Yeah, mate. He's a guy that if you can keep in the building, you definitely want to. He's just, he's, he, he's just the perfect clubman, isn't he? Mate, that's it. And I think... You know, he's getting towards the end of his career. And if if he wants to play another season elsewhere, great. But I would love for them to say, mate, play out this season. We'll give you a job at the club. You can do whatever the hell you want. He's just He just seems like the kind of guy you want around the club, no matter what he's doing, no matter where he is. You just want him around the club. Liam, before I let you go, mate, let's say you're walking into uh, McDonald Jones Stadium this week. What feed are you getting? Mm, yes. Mate, I'm going for the Villies double combo. They've got this little double combo. It's a half-size pie and a half-size sausage roll. The beauty of them being half-size, you get one in the first half and you get one in the second half. And uh, I've got it all worked out. You can generally fit uh, three, uh, sorry, four cans of Canadian Club and Dry in a 40-minute half. So you knock a few of them back, eat your mini pie and sausage roll, and, mate, watch magic happen out in front of you which, again, we haven't been able to do for a number of years. Oh, mate, I love myself a fucking can of uh, Cooper Cronk and Dry. Sensational. Apparently sell mid-strength, so that's bullshit. <laughs> you can't win them all, mate. Liam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I didn't think it would take too long for a Newcastle fan to jump on here. Only took you a couple of weeks. Mate, we're all over. All over the place. <laughs> mate, just remind my listeners once again, if they want to listen to the joust, where can they find you? Hey, you can find us all over the social parts. We're on Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Spotify. I forget them every week, but I think that's all on. So any of the socials, just look up the Joust NRL podcast and uh, be prepared to have two idiots yelling at each other for about 45 minutes every week. Mate, thank you for joining us. Good luck this weekend against Manly. You're a legend, mate. Good to hear from you, mate. We'll uh, hopefully do some cool shit together soon. Beautiful, mate. Have a good one. Beauty. Cheers, brother.